You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today... We're joined by Dan Matthews of the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast, and he is going to talk to us a little bit about how he makes his uh, purchasing decisions. It's a, it's a really cool BS session. Um, we talk about this progression that serious hunters often go through where we our gear is anything that gets us outside. And as we become serious about something, we put a lot more time, energy, and effort into those decision, uh, the, the decisions. And oftentimes, that, increase, uh, that increases the price as well of how much we're budgeting or spending. So if you're um, a, a hardcore bow hunter, per se, you know, I spend a lot of money on, I'm not going to say a lot, but I spend a good amount of money on clothing that are going to keep me comfortable boots that are going to keep me comfortable gear that i know is going to work that feels comfortable in my hand that i'm confident with and as opposed to when i was hunting a lot less years and years and years and years ago right where it was just anything to get out and so i ended up uh you know buying a lot of cotton buying boots that just got me by buying a bow that just got me by um, and as we, as, as we find out that it's going to be a little bit more serious, we're taking this a lot more serious, uh, then we start spending more money on it. And we talk a little bit about this uh, today with Dan. So uh, that's what today's episode is about. It's almost like a, a, a gear progression uh, uh, podcast uh, for serious hunters and all that good stuff. Let's see, we got to do some commercials real quick. But I will say this before we get into it. Um, I have, I have sponsors, I have partners, uh, and I promote those brands. But if it means not getting out hunting versus having some kind of magic equipment, the answer is whatever you need to get out, whatever you need to get outside. Uh, so take that, you know, take this episode with a grain of salt because you don't need the high-end stuff. There's plenty of stuff out there that will just get you by. You may have to be a little tougher, uh, you know, to get by, but at the same time, it's, it's a lot more uh, budget friendly. So just, just take today's conversation with a grain of salt, but, uh, I want to talk about our partners on the hunting gear podcast here. We have the average conservationist and the average conservationist.com. They are a lifestyle brand. They have a, a whole lineup of uh, kick-ass t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and sweatshirts that uh, have some really cool logos on them. And uh, it's just a, a really good brand for people who uh, want to rep conservation. And why I like this company is because right off the top, they give 10% of all of their profits to the um, 
all of their profits to some form of a conservation effort, right? So before they pay their taxes, before they take any money for themselves, they give 10% of that income to a conservation effort. And I, honestly, I wish a lot more companies in the hunting space would do something like this. So, uh, and not to mention they have a really kick-ass podcast uh, here on the, the Sportsman's Nation Network as well, The Average Conservationist. Next is Hunt Stand. Now, if you're looking for a mobile app that will, a mobile hunting app on your phone, has a ton of features, is the most popular uh you can download it for free. You can upgrade for 30 bucks a year uh, and get things like um, trail camera, uh, trail camera, uh, pictures, organization software. You can get the, you know, the, the typical satellite imagery. There's like nine different base maps that you can choose from to start cataloging all of your uh, journeys afield. You know, you can leave a, a pin for, hey, I saw a rub, I saw a scrape, uh, I saw a deer over here. Here is a... Uh, I have a trail camera here and basically it's just like a continued journal entry of everything that you've seen while in the field. Um, there's weather functionality, you know, landowner property, uh, property boundary information, public private information, just a, it is, it's, it's the best thing to have on your phone, uh, while you're out in the woods documenting your, your hunts. So, uh, go to huntstand.com to read up uh, on more information. You can go to where do we send them? We send them like to, you can, you can go to the, the website to find out more information, but you can also go to places like Google, uh, the, the Google Play Store, uh, or wherever you download your apps and you can download it for free. So there's HuntStand. And, and then the, the last one here is, it's not Lone Wolf anymore, okay? Lone Wolf is bye-bye. It's Novex now, right? So one company owned both those companies. Lone Wolf is gone. Now there's a transition over to Novex. And Novex is a, um, a direct-to-consumer uh, tree stand company with the exact same. It's not Lone Wolf, but the tree stands and sticks are very, very, very similar. Same functionality. Made in America. Um, same ownership of that. So um, what I'm going to recommend is go to Novex.com. Check it out and uh, just take a look at everything and you'll see the similarity with the lone wolf design and, and things like that it's not a rebranding it's a it's a brand new company and the goal is to hopefully get some guys from novex on the show and talk about this whole transition why they did it and um and, and hopefully we can get uh you know get some more information because i know a lot of you guys are asking about that so all right that's the commercial break. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this episode. I know I enjoy these uh, episodes recording them. And uh, let's get into today's, uh, I guess we'll just call it another BS session with Dan Matthews of The Nomadic Outdoorsman. All right. Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. And on today's episode, we're joined by Dan Matthews. Dan, how are we doing, man? Man, I'm doing really well. Good. Uh, just looking forward to the end of season, not looking forward to the end of it, but to get out the last couple of days. So. Yeah. Yeah. Are you the guy who gets uh, like instant, what do they call that? Deer pression where the season's over and you just kind of, oh man, you get down in the dumps and sad and, and wish that the it wasn't 10 months to the next hunting adventure. 
So I would normally say yes, but I've discovered that it's not instant after season. I actually already start dreading it before season actually ends. So So you're anticipating the end of the season and already getting depressed, even though you still have hunting left to do. A hundred (laughs) percent. That's crazy. (laughs) That's funny. Oh, man. Um, So today... I kind of just want to have a little bit of a BS session, um, talk a little bit about the gear we use, maybe talk about some new purchases that you made um, this year, and maybe some likes, some dislikes uh, of products that you've used in the past year, the past handful of seasons. And I think kind of the place where I want to start is just kind of a very high-level question to you. How do you make your decisions your, your hunting gear decisions, your purchases decisions? So for years, the answer to that question would be whatever's cheap. Yeah. Uh, I would get the cheapest stuff. I was on an extreme budget for hunting. And even now I can't just go out and blow money on whatever I want, but right. I use everything from hand-me-downs to the Walmart specials. As soon as season ended, everything went on sale. I'd go buy bulk camo and tree sands and, and climbing sticks and, uh, bow hangers and everything you could think of from the discount section. And I did that for a lot of years. And honestly, I enjoyed hunting cheap like that. And it wasn't until recently that I said, you know, I want to see what the more expensive camos all about what the more expensive equipment's all about and see if it's really worth the money. And so it wasn't until this year, or I guess maybe the last two years that I've actually started putting quite a bit of money into my equipment. Okay. So budget, budget is important in these past two years, you've bumped up the price, uh, the price point or your budget towards hunting equipment. Have you noticed anything that really sticks out, whether it's camo clothing, equipment, whatever? Yeah. For, for the clothing and camo side of it, I definitely noticed a huge change. Um, what, what that looked like for me, I used to have to, do multiple layers. I mean, like four or five, six layers of all my different hunting clothes. I would have, uh, just athletic base layers on, and then I'd go with some type of sweat pan over the top of that. And then normally a heavier duty pan on that and then bibs or coveralls. And so now I've narrowed it down to where I've got three clothing items on the bottom for, for my layering system. Uh, this year it actually wasn't until just after Christmas that I purchased uh, a large order of first light stuff. Yeah. I've been reading reviews on basically the major players in the outdoor uh, camping game, um, reading reviews, looking at price points. I had a cart filled for every major camo company out there. And then once I had everything in the cart, I compared prices and I said, you know what, I'm just going to pull the trigger finally. The nice thing is my wife and I don't really buy each other Christmas presents. It's like, just go online and buy what you want. Yeah. And this is the first time I've placed an order, an order this large for myself. Okay. And so it felt, I felt guilty about it. And then as soon as I started wearing it, I was like, all right, that was a good call. Okay. That's, so this is, this is kind of, uh, an awesome that you, that you did it this way. Cause now we have something to talk about. So First Light was one of the options. You filled a cart online. All right. What were the other brands that you did that same thing to? So I did that with uh, Kuyu, Sitka, 
and Under Armour. Under Armour, okay. And so it was those four that I that I filled carts and compared prices. On. Okay, which one was the most expensive, and which one was the cheapest? So Sitco was the one that was most expensive, and it was by quite a bit. I would say a margin of at least 25% more expensive than the next. And First Light was actually the cheapest out of all the options. Okay. And as far as the garments that you had in this selection were, I mean, what were they? Like a, a base layer, insulation layer, outer layer type? Exactly. Yeah, okay. I did that for um, my top and bottom, and then... On top of that, I got a wool beanie, I got a wool face gaiter, and then the the gaiters that go over your boots to help keep moisture from wicking up your pants. Yeah, okay. And so was what was it about First Light? Like, why... Why did you go? Obviously, I mean, from a from a financial standpoint, it was the cheapest out of all of them, so that's a win right there. But what other decisions went into First Light over those other brands that you mentioned? So I went through and looked at reviews, and honestly, the reviews for basically all of them seemed very similar. They were all very close to five star ratings, and then the reviews were almost completely positive. Uh, as well as I like to look at who's wearing it right now. I don't make my purchases just off of who in the hunting industry is wearing the clothing. Obviously, uh, for years I didn't do that because I was just buying special deals at, at Walmart or thrift stores. But there's a lot of people that are in the hunting industry right now that I just I trust their word. They seem like they're no BS kind of people. Uh, I would say like you, Mark Kenyon, the Meat Eater crew, even... Um, looking back to people that I used to used to watch growing up before social media took off, like the Bone Collector guys, I take a lot of that into account. See if these guys are credible, and then um, I move forward looking at the brands that they're using. Okay, so let me ask you a question: what What is it about someone's opinion, uh, and, and knowing what you know now about the industry, right? Like. People get paid to rep products, right? Yep. Knowing that, knowing that in some way, shape, or form, their their opinion may be a little altered because they're receiving money from a company to do that. Knowing that, how does that then impact your decision-making? Like, like what kind of weight does that carry? Mm. That carries quite a bit of weight, knowing that they're actually receiving money from companies in order for their review, their rating, their, um, I, I guess, their word on it. I just, I, I've always been kind of skeptical about the monetization side of it because I was like, man, I can't just go in and say, okay, this guy's for real. He knows what he's talking about he obviously loves this product more than anything. In reality, that might not be the case. It might be that they were just the highest bidder. And so what I what I end up doing is looking at people who hunt a similar style to me. Okay. And I know that all of these people or most of them are receiving money from the companies. But I go, okay, why why would any one of these brands reach out to them specifically to rep their product? Well, because they're hunting a style that matches what their product is made for. Okay. And so it kind of, I mean, it plays both sides. Yeah. One, uh, on one hand, I'm like, man, I don't find them as credible. And on the other hand, I go, well, maybe if I hunt a similar style to them, that product 
should be for me yeah. because that's who the um, the businesses, the companies reached out to for marketing. Yeah, man, that's a good point. I, I guess I never really thought of it thought of it that way. Um, so you went with you went with uh, uh, camo and or you went with first light and like so did you, you got it for christmas so you really don't have a ton of experience in that maybe put camo and, and first light off to the side for a little bit what about maybe in the past handful of seasons any other products that you've purchased um that you've had a good or bad or or uh, you know, does your decision making on boots, is there a different process versus your, your archery equipment or, or something like that? Yeah. Um, I've used, I've used several bows in the past couple of years. Uh, I was using a Matthews no cam for a few years and then I moved out to Colorado where I knew that archery hunting wasn't going to be on my list of to do's for the first couple of years. I really wanted to learn big game, um, with a rifle at first because I knew my success rate was going to be a lot higher with a rifle. I knew a lot more people that did rifle hunt. And so I actually traded that bow for a rifle. Oh, okay. I always loved Matthew's bows. I've had a couple different ones throughout the years. And then moving back to Missouri, I was like, man, I got to get a bow again. I love whitetail hunting here. I kind of have it fig not figured out because I don't think anybody can really have whitetail figured out. Um, but where where i hunted and so i was like i'm gonna get a bow and start hunting again and when i did i had a bowtech prodigy yeah um that was again just on trade i traded for um i think some type of firearm that i had that a guy wanted and started shooting that very very consistently i mean i was shooting probably 50 to 100 arrows a day for several months got comfortable shooting it out to 45 50 yards i had a five pin setup on it and absolutely loved the bow. The only thing that I didn't like is there were a bunch of little set screws uh, at different parts in the bow, like near the cams and other, um, and on the limbs that every, I don't know, week, week and a half, I'd shoot and I would hear this awful rattle. And I'm like, what is that? And it was these screws starting to back out after all the vibration of shooting it that many times. Oh, dang. Um, fortunately, I, I was able to fix that with just some like Loctite um, glue on the screws. And so it, it held it in place without letting it wiggle out. And again, I, it was a secondhand um, trade. So I didn't get it new from the manufacturer. I have no idea if this guy had issues with that before, if he actually switched out screws or what. But that was something that was kind of concerning to me. I'm like, man, what if I'm out on a Western hunt and all of a sudden a screw falls out, which... Yeah you know, causes my bow to explode down the road if I'm, if I'm shooting a lot and don't realize it. And so, uh, I ended up, I ended up this year, I told my wife, Hey, I love Matthew's bows. My last name's Matthews. So I'm kind of biased. I was bummed to find out there is no relation there at all because <laughs> the first, the guy's first name is Matthews and I'm like, or it's Matthew. And so I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Both one T that's not very common with the last name Matthews. Come to find out, there's absolutely no, no chance I'm related yeah. to them. But it's just kind of cool to have a bow with my name on it. Yeah. And so uh, my wife got me one for my birthday this summer. She got me the Matthews VXR. I immediately switched from a five-pin sight to a one-pin, a single-pin quick-adjust sight. And 
that was a game changer for me. I had never shot anything like that, never had the capability of just switching to from 20 yards to 100 yards in a matter of two seconds. Yeah. And so I started shooting that right away and started shooting long range. And I have fallen in love with the system and the setup that I've got. Yeah. It's funny how, so it was 2006. I had been up until then, I think I had two bows. And I don't know how familiar you are with uh, older older companies. Like I, I had an Oneida, and oh, yeah. uh, man, that was a crazy. I mean, crazy uh, piece of equipment. There, I had a, a very old bear, and I'm trying to think if I had an uh, maybe a. I don't know if it was, it was a Browning made the, a bow back then or something like that. Either anyway, I got my very first. Um, bow that I purchased by myself with my own money, uh, when I, when I got my finger cut off. And so I had, I bought a brand new Bowtech tribute and that thing compared to what I was shooting was it, it made compound bow. It, it made archery fun again for me. And I became more accurate and, and that's right around the time when I started, killing more stuff and uh, because I feel like that had something to do with it so when I got that new bow and I got you know I got a brand new uh, sight a brand new rest new arrows new broadheads all that stuff and started shooting and it was fun and it was easier and the, the the hand shock was nothing compared to what those other bows from the my past were were like it was just a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've messed around with a lot of different bows from like an old Browning like you're talking about. My dad had one that I can't believe he even let us touch. I thought <laughs> at all times that that thing was going to explode and cut me in half. Yeah. Um, I can't I probably slapped the inside of my arm and elbow with the string from that trying to pull it back and I wasn't strong enough and it would slip through my fingers. This was before <laughs> he hunted with a release or anything. Yeah. And so I had shot those. I had made my own bows out of PVC pipe and rope and like just launched my dad's arrows. I probably lost a hundred arrows over the course <laughs> of my middle school career. Um, but yeah, I did that stuff. I think my first compound bow that I actually owned was a Martin Magnum Jaguar. Oh. I went and got that and I shot the lights out of that thing. I mean, I anything that... Anything that I could find that would stop an arrow, I put so many holes through it that it wasn't usable anymore. Um, yeah, like I said, I've had uh, Bowtex, Hoyts, Matthews, and I'm a buy, sell, and trade kind of guy. So I'll use something for a couple of years and then be like, hey, anybody want to trade? I'm just curious what something new would feel like. Yeah. So, so um, would you I do put that your, quite a bit. Would you put yourself under the, the, the tinker category or the – so – Certain products like, I don't know, I, I gave this example last week on the podcast where I used the same, up until this year, I used the same rest for like 13 or 14 years. And then yeah. I upgraded to a, a, a limb-driven vapor trail this year, and I really liked it. Um, but for the most part, I'm the, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know, no need to mess with it type of guy. Are you a tinkerer who likes to try a whole bunch of different things or are you the guy who's like you find what works and you stick with it so i'm i'm kind of a combination of the two to be honest it just depends on 
the animal that I'm chasing after. Yeah. So like for waterfowl, I had, I bought a Cabela's jacket at a thrift store here in Missouri, probably five years ago. I think I spent $15 on it. It was my favorite jacket that I ever owned. I wore it for everything from that to riding four wheelers, chasing elk out in the mountains. Um, it was just like waterproof, windproof, but super, super heavy. But I said, I'll never get rid of it. And even after I made this big first light order, that jacket will not go anywhere ever. That's my go-to if things get crazy out in the wilderness. That jacket goes on and I stay warm and dry. Um, As far as the actual, I I like to call them toys, more of the tools of the hunt, like my bow, my rifle, scopes, all of that. I get very intrigued by new things. Like a new shiny object, I'm like, man, I really got to try that. I've got to try it. And... I'll find a way to do it, whether it's trading up for it, buying it outright, or if a friend of mine has it, I'll, I'll go check it out. As soon as I find something that's a perfect fit, though, it stays with me. Um, even, if I, even if I upgrade five years down the road, I don't get rid of equipment that has, has proven to work yeah. very well for me over the years. Yeah. Do you have an example of that other than that coat? Uh, yeah. So uh, a shotgun that I use. It is a Winchester Ranger 20 gauge. Uh, I joke with my buddy all the time. He gives me a hard time. He's like, when are you going to get a real shotgun? Uh, This thing doesn't accept a choke. I've used that thing from bird hunting to to deer hunting with a slug. And this was back when, you know, I didn't know you weren't supposed to shoot birdshot and slugs out of the same gun. (laughs) And so, I mean, I've, I've killed so many animals with this gun. I've never changed anything on it. I just clean it, take care of it. And I just took it out twice this past week, uh, duck hunting. And so it's tough for me. I've seen all the new shotguns. I've shot my buddy's shotguns. They all have like Benelli super black Eagle threes, Browning a fives, and I've shot them and they are buttered to shoot with, but there's something about this shotgun that I love. And even if I did upgrade eventually, this shotgun will be with me forever. Yeah. I got a, I got a Mossberg 20 gauge pump downstairs. That's the exact same thing that you're talking about. It's, it has killed a ton of pheasants. It's killed a ton of animals. It's killed tons of turkeys. And I just don't want to ever get rid of it. It's, it's light. It's comfortable. Um, It's just one of those things that I don't know. It's just, you know, there's something about an old gun that someday mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to pass that down to maybe one of my sons or my daughter or something like that, or even a grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that we had a bunch of like hand-me-downs. My dad gave me several guns over the years, but it sounded like he got them from a buddy. It wasn't like generations yeah. of, of men in my family using them. I wish I, I had that. And so this shotgun is really the closest thing that I have to that. He used it. My mom used it. My mom's a diehard hunter as well. Um, they both use it. I've had cousins that have used it when when they didn't have one to take out. All three of my sisters have shot this gun, and so it kind of ended up with me, and it's going to get passed down to my son as soon as he can hunt. Yeah. All right, so in the past handful of years, you know, you've um... – You've mentioned you bought the first light, but has there been any other big purchases over the past uh, couple years that you have enough experience with to know whether or not you like it? Yeah, I would say I would say boots. I've switched up my boots a couple times. 
again, it used to be the cheap boots. I, I would burn through them, replace them. I would always go to the Bass Pro outlet store and find whatever's cheap. And I did that with boots and waders for a long time. And then a couple of years back, I was gearing up for a moose hunt with a buddy out in Colorado. And he's like, dude, footwear is going to be key. So I said, all right, I'm going to get online, do some research and find a, a pair of boots. And I bought some Danners and I put them on. I wore them every day for probably two and a half or three months leading up to the hunt just so that they were broken in and I didn't have any issues with my feet when we were actually out there chasing after the moose. And I still have those same exact boots today. Yeah, I, I wear them all the time. I'll re-oil them every now and then. We do a, a guy's night where we all get together and hang out. And every now and then someone brings some like boot oil and everyone waterproofs their boots again, waxes them up. And I think those boots, I don't know if Danner has a resoling program or not, but once the sole starts going out in those, I'll probably send them in to try to get them resold and keep them. Yeah. I got a pair of, uh, I got a pair of crispies that are the same way where, oh, nice. and I've, I think I've talked about this on uh, pre on, you know, a couple, you know, a couple years ago where I bought, I bought these brand new pair of crispies and now I'm going on like season four of them. And finally I even cleaned them up real good. The, the soles are still in, in one like they're still connected to the shoe, the really good, no no gap there. The soles are just now starting to crack just a little bit. I mean, still, you know, I could still use them, but I feel like the waterproofness is gone out of them. Even after I've cleaned them and applied more waterproofing, it's not the same as the original. So uh, they're the crispy Thors. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to buy another pair of crispy Thors for this upcoming season and uh you know turn the other pair into lawn mowing boots or something like that yeah i love i love being able to upgrade um boots like that or shoes or you know just buying a second pair of them yeah the worst feeling in the world is when you go back to a store to buy a pair that you've fallen in love with and they no longer have them. Uh, yeah. That yeah. that drives me crazy. Yeah. And then you got to try to contact the company and you're just like, hey, do you have any of these available still? And it, it could be and not necessarily just boots, any product that you've fallen with, in love with over the years. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've resorted to looking on eBay for things because yeah. I'm like, I know somebody has this out there for sale. Yeah. But, you know, the manufacturer may have quit or the business may have gone under and... Um, yeah, once I, once I find that thing, especially like the older products, there's something about using something in the woods that, you know, has a crazy history, you know, nothing about, but that vest or those pants or the boots or the hat may have seen, you know, 15 different people going out after squirrel and grouse and elk and deer and bear. Yeah. Uh, I like that side of it too. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the good. Has there been a product in the past handful of seasons that you've purchased and you were just like, oh, man, this sucks. I instantly regret it or it took some time, but you're just like, yeah, I'm never going to buy this again. So there was a tripod that I bought. It was a tripod that had almost like a shooting bench set up on top of it it had like the front v and then a back that you could drop the stock of your gun into okay and it was called a caldwell field pod okay. and i used that 
and I thought it was the greatest thing the first day I took it out. You know, I was shooting, I was uh, I was sighting in a rifle with it, just shooting as far out as I could, seeing how stable it was. And within, I would say, two or three uses, it got the worst squeak that I've ever heard. I mean, I feel like I could have called coyotes in with it just by <laughs> rotating it. And I said, there's got to be a better product than this out there. And so I ditched that one. That was one of the the ones that I paid a lot of money for that I regretted pretty quickly. How and much then, did that cost? I want to say it was like 120 bucks. It it packed down to about, I don't know, 16 inches, all said and done. It wasn't the lightest thing ever, but I mean, I did use it to shoot a deer up in Wisconsin at like 175 yards or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, in my mind, it helped me get one deer. I guess it's worth it, but I just wouldn't, I wouldn't buy that again. Um, I think another one happened this year, actually, when I went to Wisconsin, my mom was like, Hey, I've got this pair of boots. I think it'll fit you. Um, I think, I don't know if her husband wore them or what, but somebody had gotten them like the year before she ended up with them somehow. And she's like, they're really good for cold weather. They were like these big, burly, rocky boots and they had the insert in it. And so you could put your foot in it, slide it in easier, but they were supposed to be good for like zero degrees. And so I wore them out to this hillside that I always sit on in the woods and I get out there, plop down, have my gun, have my backpack, get everything organized. I kicked some leaves around so that if I moved throughout the morning, it wouldn't crunch at all. And then I look down. I think I took my phone out to take a picture of my view for the day. And there was like insulation. And basically the whole front of both boots had opened up at some point in the hike uh, to my spot. And I could stick my whole foot out the front of the boot. I'll have to send you a picture. It was very interesting. I sent it to my mom right away. She's like, what the heck? I'm contacting the company. This is ridiculous. And what was funny is they're lace-up boots that come up like nine inches. And so my foot actually didn't move a whole lot, which is why I made it all the way into the woods, sat there, and was sitting there for quite a while before I even noticed that the leather had opened up and you know would talk if I shook my foot right. Huh. And so you're probably those. I mean, if you're just walking and your foot explodes, like what, what kind of boots were those? Did you buy them at Walmart? No, those were, those were the ones that, uh, I was given from my mom. I mean, they had been used, but it was like, it was like one deer season of use. So in Wisconsin, that means someone walked in and out of the woods nine times the year before. (laughs) And then I got them. And they blew up on me uh, first morning. Uh, and so, unfortunately, like, I don't want to leave the worst review for it because I I can't 100% say this is exactly how many times they were used. But looking at them, they look like they were in great condition yeah. and hardly had any wear. And then all of a sudden they blow up yeah. after literally walking 20 yards into a 40-acre woodlot. Yeah. Not something you want. Not something you want. No. Well, no, definitely not. Other than that, I, I feel like most of the products that I've used recently have been pretty good. You know, I've gotten a lot of cheap stuff, a lot of free stuff from just going out with buddies who do photography for companies. And for the most part, it holds up. There might be little things here and there, but nothing that's a red flag enough to yeah. warn everybody off on. Yeah. 
All right, so you, you made a, a big purchase with this first light camo. Uh, do you have any other big purchases that you're currently saving for or you're looking into for the upcoming seasons? Um, a spotting scope. Okay. That is going to be my next big purchase. I actually thought my wife bought it for me. Our anniversary was yesterday. Okay. And I went to look at it again. I just, every couple of days, I'll go in my Amazon cart and look at it. And it was gone. And I was like, oh my gosh, she bought it for me. And so then I looked in purchases and my orders and I'm checking to see like, when is it going to show up? All of this, trying not to let her know that I'm on tour. And it turns out she did not buy it for me. Somehow it vanished from my cart and <laughs> I I just had my hopes up for the past several days thinking it was going to show up. You're going to um, be kind of yeah. hard to surprise if you're snooping like that. Well, and, and that's where I go back to like we don't normally buy gifts for each other. So that's why I was kind of thrown off right away. Yeah. I was like, man, she didn't like she didn't say, hey, this anniversary we're buying each other gifts because – I don't like to be surprised if I'm not prepared to give something in return. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we, what, we don't what was the brand. Uh, it's vortex. Yeah. So, um, it was the mid range vortex. It was the vortex, not Viper, not Ra The vortex fury. I think okay. it is. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's the, it's not the straight, the straight um, spotting scope, It's it's got the angle to it so that I can actually sit down and look down into it. I haven't had a ton of the, a ton of experience with the straight on um, optics. And so I just know that I like this one better. I've used it on different hunts with friends that had it. Yeah. And with the amount I've been going and traveling for hunting, both out West in Colorado, up to Alaska, um, I plan to do a lot more of that this year. I said, it's time that I actually get a spotting scope instead of just trying to find things with 10 power binoculars. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, it does make a difference. Um, spotting scopes do make a world of difference. Uh, I've been going to Nebraska now and South Dakota for four years. And it, I'll tell you this, it is a, or three years, excuse me. It's uh, being able to basically go from guessing if it's a deer or not to knowing that it's a deer is a big thing or, or knowing, Hey, there's no bucks. And I see a whole bunch of deer, but I can't tell if they're bucks. You can, it allows you to find your animal, say, I don't, or I do, or I do not want to go after there. And it just saves you a lot of walking, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole spotting scope game was new to me for sure. I think I had used a spotting scope maybe two or three times doing long range shooting with some friends. And other than that, until I moved out to Colorado, I just had no use for them. As soon as I got out there though, it was the same type of deal. I'm looking at things with my binoculars on a tripod. So they're stable. Like I feel like I have the clearest image possible and I'd be like, man, there's an elk up there on that hillside. No, yeah. I walk everybody into it, you know, like, Hey, go to the big boulder, go to 1030 from there, 200 yards up. And it's sitting right there and they'll look at it. And I'm like, man, see, did you see that? It just turned its head. It just looked to the left. And my buddy's like, man, I really don't think that's an elk. And he pulls out a spotting scope and it turns out to be a log that somehow <laughs> I saw the head of the log turn and look to the left. I still get crap for that one every year I hunt. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be, the next big purchase and 
I, I always, I think I trick my wife into believing me and I'm like, yeah, that's really the last big thing that I need. And then there's <laughs> ever, always something ever. more. <laughs> yeah, ever. I'll never need anything. Yeah. yeah. We got them fooled, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've loved, I, I've loved Vortex products. Uh, I got turned on to those a couple of years ago and um, now I, I've got a Vortex scope on my rifle. I got the range finding binoculars. Um, I got those in preparation for um, the moose hunt and then yeah. knowing that I would be elk hunting and mountain goat hunting um, yeah. in the near future. And so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to cave and do it and stop using these Tasco Walmart binoculars yeah. that cost me $35. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, and this is kind of a, a, a plug for Vortex, even though I'm, I'm going to, I try to remain unbiased about things. Full disclosure, Vortex supports the, or uh, has an advertising campaign on the uh, Nine Fingers Chronicles side of things. But it's oh, nice. kind of it's kind of hard to not support that company with the warranty that they offer their, their customers, right? So like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, I've set my binoculars in two times. This, this was even before I was working with Vortex. I set my binoculars in two separate occasions to get fixed they, you know, they fix whatever damage is done to your optics and they send it back to you for free. There's no charge. That's their warranty. And so for me, that's just reassurance that you're, you buy once and you're always going to have a new, new or brand new pair of binoculars if something bad happens to them. And I beat the yeah. shit out of my equipment every year. Yeah, I've, I've slowly been working that way. Uh, again, going from cheap, cheap equipment to nicer stuff that's going to last longer. I, I was buying, um, waders for duck hunting for years. I'd go to the outlet store, pay $97 or, you know, under a hundred dollars for waders, use them for two years and then they'd get blown out and I'd go get a new pair. And I had friends that started getting waders that had warranties with them. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, you can, you can do that. And then when I was in Colorado, I was at um, an outdoor store where I walked by the case and it was all vortex stuff. And on the top shelf of the case, there was a pair of binoculars that had been burnt and melted so bad that you could hardly tell they were binoculars to start. Yep. And I asked one of the employees, I'm like, Hey, what's the deal with that? And they said, Hey, that's their VIP warranty. Those actually came out of a house fire. Somebody's house burnt down big time. Hunter ended up finding them and sent them in and they replaced them with brand new binoculars. Yeah. And I was like, hold on. So this isn't even like a factory default, something that the manufacturer no. messed up. This was a house fire. Their product got ruined in it and they still honored the warranty. And he's like, it's one of the best warranty programs we've ever seen as oh, yeah. an outdoor retailers. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish more, pro more companies would do that. Um, yeah. Now I know for, for some products, so let's say for example, uh, there's, uh, Exodus trail cameras has a five year warranty where if it, if it breaks or it's not working in four years, you can take it back to them and they'll give it, give you another one for like 50% off. Right. Oh, so okay. that's a great warranty, but you know, I just feel like there should be more warranties like that in the outdoor space because of, I don't know, 
like the amount of money that we're spending on some of some of this higher end equipment. Now I know clothing would probably be uh, a bad example because you know that stuff wears has oh, yeah. amount of good amount of wear to it. But I mean like a site or a rest or a release or something like that where the moving parts are ma- mostly made from metal. I would assume that they would have a, a, a pretty long lifespan and that a company would be like, you know what, to honor you know, the commitment that we have to you know, the end user, we're going to give you a, a, a warranty where we'll replace, we'll, we'll fix any damages uh, that may happen yeah. to you. So I don't know. That's me not knowing the manufacturing world like those guys do, though. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I mean, I've had other products with warranties, but they make it so difficult to actually cash in yeah. on a warranty claim, yeah. um, like a generator that goes out. And it's like, all right, we need the logs of every oil change that you did on the generator. How many how many times have you filled it up with gas, this yeah. and that? And I'm like, I don't who's going to keep track of all that? Like, yeah. I would rather pay another $800 to not have to write down information every time I use it. Yeah. Um, but with the, with the Vortex side of things, everyone that I've talked to, and I've got a lot of friends now that use Vortex equipment, um, they all said it's a very hassle-free way to go. And so yeah. it's made a believer out of me. I honestly don't know that I'll buy any other optics. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the next 10 years for sure. Yeah. I've, I've loved every product I've used. Right. Yep, that's uh, that's a, that's the truth right there. Um, any other products that you're excited about or that you've uh, maybe used in the past handful of seasons that you're just like, oh Jesus, man, um, I got sucked into uh, the the marketing of it all. So um, I don't know about the marketing side of it, but uh, one product that is tried and true, in my opinion, I've used it for years, are the Rage Hypodermic Broadheads. Really? Um, Yes. I've had, it's funny because I get that response from a lot of people. It's either 100% I agree or, dude, I've had this issue with it. Rage sucks, you know, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's very polarized on them. And I have used them. Gosh, it's got to be five seasons now between deer hunting. Um, well, really, it's almost all been deer hunting, but I've shot a deer at least one every year, and I've never had an issue with them deploying. Yeah. Now, I will say I was confused at first, and I could see how there are issues with them. Uh, I'm using the collared system, and so they've got the plastic collar. It's got, like I want to say, six or eight tabs around it. And it seems like as you're putting it together, as you're putting the broadhead into the arrow, that that the broadhead blades would actually go in between the little tabs on the collar. It's not meant to do that. It's meant to go on the tab and not in between them. And so right away when I started reading bad reviews, I was like, I wonder if people just aren't installing these correctly. Because at first glance, I would have done the same thing. And then I actually read the little like three-step instruction on it. And it told me exactly how to do it. Yeah. But I've had I've had multiple um, deer that I've shot that I've seen die within within sight. I think I've only had one one deer that went out of sight, and that was just a poor poorly placed shot on my part. I tried to uh, favor it away from a branch that was covering up the a good part of the deer's vitals, and I place the shot too far back so but i still ended up recovering that deer yeah but it's one of those things where you have confidence in that piece of equipment and 
I think confidence in your equipment has a lot to do with whether or not you continue to use it. Absolutely. I think confidence just in every area of life, you can get away with almost anything if you're confident. I've watched, I've watched the videos where guys are in bright, uh, bright yellow vests and they'll walk into different sporting events because they're just confident and they act like they are supposed to be there. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. And I'm like it with confidence, things just, seem to line up better if i go out in the woods and i just really don't think i'm going to shoot a deer that day there's almost no point for me being out there or if i go out and my equipment is in the back of my mind like man if it starts to rain am i going to get soaked yeah like that's going to be an issue it's going to play into my thought process i might not be as attentive or as alert and i won't say that you can just like will a 190 inch buck into existence in front of your tree stand if you're confident but i think you are a better uh, a better hunter when you're confident in, in your, equipment. your abilities and yeah. your equipment. Yeah. The no truer words have ever been spoken, my friend. So, um, <laughs> Dan, man, uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to, to come on, uh, to come on the podcast. And for those of you who don't, uh, who don't know, Dan is a new content provider to the Sportsman's Nation Network. So, um, make sure you go and check out what's the, What's the podcast? Give us the 411 on it. Um, it's called The Nomadic Outdoorsman. And so I just sit down and talk with everyday outdoorsmen from all over the country, whether it's people who are into frog gigging, chasing mountain lions with hounds, or moose shed hunting. Uh, I just like to talk to people and find out different outdoor activities that I could get into. Yeah, there you go. And that, uh, if you're listening to this podcast on thir- on a Thursday... This, his latest episode, his first episode on the network launches today as well. So go check that out. Dan, appreciate your time, man. Absolutely. Anytime.